Retropod is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Are you looking to learn a thing or two about getting your finances in order, saving, and investing? Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post Brand Studio. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, history lovers. I'm Mike Rosenwald with Retropod, a show about the past rediscovered. With the holiday season upon us, we're taking a little break. So for the next few days, we're replaying some of our favorite episodes from 2018. We'll be back after the new year with more fascinating and fun discoveries from the past. Happy holidays. Now, on with the show. May 1884. In Memphis, Tennessee, a black schoolteacher named Ida B. Wells was riding a train in the ladies' car, minding her own business. Out of nowhere, a conductor, white of course, ordered her to move to the segregated Jim Crow car. Wells refused. After all, she had purchased a first-class ticket. Her money, her seat. Things escalated quickly. The conductor grabbed Wells, trying to force her off the train, but she wasn't about to budge. She braced herself against the seat, and as he caught her arm, she bit down, fastening her teeth into the back of his hand. Eventually, though, she was dragged off the train. Wells would later become one of the most powerful black voices at the turn of the century she became an investigative journalist who fought against segregation and lynching across the United States. Chicago recently put up a statue to commemorate her incredible life. And she traces it all back to that one train ride, to that conductor who changed her perspective on America forever. In her memoir, Crusade for Justice, Wells recalled her fateful ride and what happened next. She sued the railroad company for forcing black people to ride in, quote, separate but unequal coaches. She won the case, and she was awarded $500 in damages. But her victory was short-lived. The railroad company appealed, and three years later, the Tennessee Supreme Court overturned the ruling. In her diary, Wells wrote about her disappointment in the justice system. Quote, I have firmly believed all along that the law was on our side and would, when we appealed to it, give us justice. I feel shorn of that belief and utterly discouraged, and just now, if it were possible, would gather my race in my arms and fly away with them. But Wells could not fly away, so instead she dedicated her life to fighting back. She continued teaching in Memphis, trying to help black people obtain an education. But she also did something else. She wrote columns about her lawsuit. Her articles appeared in church newspapers and black weeklies. She had a regular column for an African-American newspaper called the Memphis Free Speech and Headlight, and eventually used the money she had saved as a teacher to become part owner of the paper. Her life changed again when three of her friends 
were lynched for opening a grocery store that competed with a white-owned store in Memphis. Devastated and outraged, Wells launched an investigation into their deaths. Her findings were revelatory not only for the country, but personally. According to the journal African American Criminological Thought, Wells had previously believed that lynching victims had committed the crimes they were accused of, especially rape. That's what most Americans believed at the time. But all her friends had done was open a grocery store, and her investigation led her to conclude that many of the rape stories behind lynchings were false. So she published a now famous editorial on the subject, writing, quote, Nobody in this section of the country believes the old threadbare lie that Negro men rape white women. A local newspaper replied in their own editorial, calling her a black scoundrel. In response, Wells wrote a follow-up encouraging black people to get out of Memphis. And they listened. Hundreds of black people left in the months that followed. Wells continued writing and lecturing on the horrors of lynching and eventually became one of the founders of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP. And she never stopped fighting, even taking up women's suffrage late in life. In 1913, Wells went to Washington, D.C. to march with other suffragettes. But black women were supposed to walk in the back of the line, separately from the white women, just as Wells was supposed to sit in a segregated train car that fateful day in 1884. Naturally, Wells refused to walk in the back. Instead, according to an account by the National Park Service, she infiltrated the ranks of her white Illinois suffragettes and marched alongside them. I'm Mike Rosenwald. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to Deneen Brown, who reported this story for The Washington Post. And for more forgotten stories from history, visit WashingtonPost.com slash Retropod.